Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, We're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned and thanks for joining. You guys thankful to be here with Jesus this morning? I'm so grateful. Um, just been a wonderful week of God doing some awesome stuff and um, if you, if you want, weren't here, I'll give a, a kind of brief hit on this at the end. Last week, we shared a little bit about um, this planted fund, uh, kind of a call financially for our church to partner with us in, in this coming season, um, moving to a new space. How many of you, uh, raise your hand if you were here this last week. Raise your hand if you were not here this last week. If you weren't here, go check it out, listen. I really encourage, we try to get everybody in our body to listen to last week so you can understand the why and the vision behind what we're doing. I'll give a little bit more on that at the end. Andrea actually has magnets for everybody um, with that to give away. And so she's going to be standing out there in the lobby giving away magnets. Please stop by and see her. Um, I'm really excited to introduce to you this morning my friend Joe. I uh, met Joe. A very unlikely place. We were sitting around with a bunch of, it was, it was at this uh, conference with a lot of different business people who give to philanthropic things. And I was listening to Joe talk about what Care Portal does. How many of you uh, have either, you've seen, you've been involved with Care Portal already? There's been a number of you, yeah. It's, it's been really awesome. And uh, we were listening to, uh, listening to him talk about the way that they, um, desire to bring meaningful connection between the church and those who who uh, are hurting and need care and are vulnerable. And I listened and was just amazed. And I was like, there's something different about this guy. There's a lot of cool things, a lot of problem solving that's happening in these groups. And I, so I sat down and, and began talking with them. And I realized that he is a, he's not just a strategic thought leader but he is a super spirit-led person and I just don't encounter that a lot that sort of convergence of, of those things and uh, and so I was just super super grateful to meet Joe and super grateful for how care portals already starting to affect our church in a couple months and um, and so I was just like I don't know we, we talked about the last time we met and I was like I just I just feel like we have to have you come and he was like well let's do it and we, uh, so we coordinated this day, and um, I just want you guys to know that this is, this is a person, I believe, who's here in this season to be in our church body to, to deliver something to us, not a message, but some but impartation, really. And this isn't just like us inviting somebody to preach. I believe it's a, it's a, it's a now time thing um, to impart something to our body. And... When, we're, when something's being imparted to us, it's that we need God to give us something. And so I just want us to po- posture us into that mindset that like, that 
while God has given us all things for life and godliness, sometimes we need people to come give us wisdom, uh, a grace, and, and I just believe that, that that's happening this morning, that God's going to be giving impartation. And I'm just so grateful to, to have, have him here. There, him and his family have made enormous sacrifice to care for the most vulnerable. Uh, they don't just lead an organization, they've made personal sacrifice for it. And so I really admire them for the work they've done. And so, yeah, I want to give, us, give him a hand as he comes. I'm going to hand the mic over to you, Joe. And we're grateful you're here. Thank you. Thanks for the warm welcome. I, uh, I love hearing things like, wow, a thought leader, an organizational leader, but truly the only thing, the only person that I have that matters in my life that can give any wisdom, any guidance, any impartation is the Holy Spirit. And so it's important for me even just entering into this environment that the Holy Spirit has already orchestrated. Thank you for your obedience. To just let you know some context. Um, I am not some great uh, leader from on high. I am not here where I, I went to the best schools and um, you know have this totally crazy uh, education and background and experience. The truth is that that the kids that we're talking about, that's me. I was one of those kids. You know, I am just a, a child who was raised in really like a sewer. I mean, I spent more time in shame, more time hiding under my bed that I wouldn't get caught, that I wouldn't you know, everything that should never happen to a child, every wicked thing is, is what my story is. That's who, that's who I was. That's what I was raised in. And, and, um, and so actually the truth is, in the eyes of the world, I'm a nothing who comes from nothing. But I serve a God who chooses the lowly things and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And so while I grew up hiding under the bed and in these places, and that is where the Lord snatched me from, snatched me from, I don't come here under a bed, I come here with my feet on a rock. And what's on my spirit is really not to give a message. It's not to preach. It's, I, I believe the Holy Spirit brought me here today on Rosh Hashanah to share a story. And I'm going to give a little context for it. And I mean, I know many of you have heard of Rosh Hashanah, and here's just a newsflash. We live in an idolatrous world. We, we think, I mean, even the way that we mark time is not the way God marks time. The calendar that we have, I mean, the calendar we have wasn't even invented until 1582, you know? And before that, in 46 BC by Julius Caesar, God's time and his seasons and the way that he marks them, the one where a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day is not the way that we mark seasons and times. 
in this nation. And we don't live in a nation that has a government over God. He is still on his throne and he picks times and seasons, kairos moments in history to shake the foundations of the earth to conform to his plan for all creation. And we're living in such a time. And so even the notion of what is Rosh Hashanah, which really isn't even the biblical word, it's Yom Teruah. I had no idea what that was until 10 years ago, almost on the dot, Rosh Hashanah of 2013. And I, I want to share that story with you. So I'm very spoiled. I get to be a servant of local churches all over the earth where I get to stay anonymous. And Care Portal and what we do in building capacity to the local church, that's all we are. The organization I lead is meant to be underground, um, a, a really an advocate for that child and who that child is and who that family is. But our belief is that we're not going to outsmart God. And from the stoning of Stephen to today, he's scattered local churches all over the earth. He's created the greatest distribution network for the love of our neighbor that anybody could. If the United Nations dumped a trillion dollars on us right now and we decided we want to actually do something about this God-forsaken, fatherless world that we live in and we want to create a distribution network to touch children and touch families with the hope of Jesus Christ, not this artificial one, the real one, not pocket Jesus, where we pull him out as a good luck charm, but the one who is called faithful and true, who will come to set everything right, that one. If you had a trillion dollars, you couldn't create it. You couldn't create a distribution network that is under bushes and in big buildings, that is in commercial buildings, that is everywhere, that's about to be planted right in the middle of a residential neighborhood that God is just flooding with human beings all around. You couldn't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And from the stoning of Stephen to now, he's created this for a moment in time to say, now, that there would be an activation that would utterly, that would send the message that sure enough, something will happen in the world that the world will see that God sent his son. And so I get to serve these churches all over, and I'm really not a theologian. I'm not a classic pastor, but I am a decent observer. And even before I started doing what I do now, I was a trial lawyer, almost a natural skeptic, an observer of what's going on, and somebody who makes the case, who watches closely, and who has a skeptical bone. But I've observed, when the Holy Spirit called me to be a servant of churches, for churches to answer the call to care for kids. In this, for spiritual fathers to be Abrahams, to children who are fatherless, not in orphanages, not in systems, with the spirit of adoption, with that spirit, that bringing in spirit of grafting in. And I've watched all over the world something remarkable happen for many, many years. You know, the world peddles this foolish lie 
like Nietzsche in old times, that God is dead and you killed him. The world peddles this ridiculous lie that the local church is dying and is irrelevant and is going nowhere. And they cite lots of you know, you know, pew research about how everybody is leaving and that that is just fool's gold. And even this lie that actually it's only about the big C church and that we're all going to find all of our community online somewhere watching all of these sermons, but not in this fellowship where I don't care. You can't go online and have your spirit moved like it's moving right now. So all of these lies have been peddled that try to tell the believers of the most high God that our best days are behind us. Who said that, sister, about we're living in the good old days? Yes, that's the truth that, that the Holy Spirit spoke through her. But the world, the prince of this world, who controls the air, has been peddling a lie that everything is dead. And I can tell you that from the ground up, I watch a particular area of the world around the orphan, around the abandoned, abused, discarded child. And when you look around that child, you will likely find what God is really up to. If you want to see revival, don't look in a high place. Don't look on the mountaintop. Don't look at Fox News and CNN and expect that you're going to see spiritual revival. If you want to know what God's up to, get low, very low. And so I've spent my life the last many years looking in the orphan window of the world. And the orphan window of the world is actually, I've discovered, not just an earthly place. It's like a place in the heavens. And in that place in the heavens, there are many doors in. Kampala, Uganda is a door in. Port-au-Prince, Haiti is a door in. Dallas, Texas is a doorway in to this place in the heavens. And that place is where I've got to observe, where I'm not the big show. I'm not the senior pastor. I'm a servant of the church. And I have watched a very different story play out. That in a high place, we have this pronouncement that government is God. In a high place, we have this pronouncement that globally, it's like the United Nations is God, and the church is irrelevant and dying. But I will tell you, in a low place, in the orphan window of the world, what I see is the Lord answering the prayer of his boy, who prayed in John 17. Unite them, make them one so the world, so that people will see that you sent me. If unity is not uniformity, it's concerted activity on mission to, to demonstrate the love and the power of the Most High God on the earth, and you look low, what I have seen is revival. I have seen churches hearing from the Holy Spirit and moving into dark places, and I have seen logos and egos come down. I have seen a desire that when you're involved in the most vulnerable children, you don't have the comfort and the time to jack around with what this world is wasting its time on. We can't get caught up when you're so busy being caught up in the things that are so close to God's heart. When you're seeing James moments every day of your life, and you're doing something about them, there's just no time to play Mickey Mouse. 
and argue and see what kind of brand I can, what kind of flag I can fly to get more people, to get more butts in a seat, so I can get more money in my coffers, so that I can have a bigger building, so that I can look good to the community as if I'm Burger King or Chick-fil-A. That's not the church. So in a low place, I've seen amazing things, and I've been privileged. And that's my vantage point. A lowly servant of the Most High God who got snatched up from underneath his bed and called to go around the world to churches who are hearing from the Holy Spirit that there's something going on around children and to watch in that window what's happening. So it's in that context. In 2013, I'm just going about my business, feeling good about what God's doing and the little role I get to play in it. <clears throat> and I went to Haiti, which is like my home away from home. It's where the Holy Spirit completely activated my faith and filled me. And I was there in January of 2013, and I got bit by a spider underneath my arm. And an infection set up, and I had this horrible MRSA infection in my body. And I didn't know it, but I have an autoimmune disease. And that MRSA infection from the spider bite hit my autoimmune disease, and it nearly killed me. And I didn't know what was wrong. I mean, I had to go to doctors, and they had to cut all of this flesh out of my, you know, it was so painful. And the combination of these two things created a pain in my body that I can't describe. And I lost so much weight, and I was going to doctors to see, what does he have some kind of a cancer? And I thought, surely I'm going to die. And it was hurting so bad in my spine and in my pelvis and in my legs that I couldn't walk. I didn't want to eat. And the only thing in that season that soothed me was this. In fact, when I would go to bed at night, I hurt more than I was up. But I could get up and start reading this word. And when I would read this word, it's like something was happening. Again, I was a trial lawyer, so very skeptical, but I started hearing from the Lord. He started telling me things, showing me people, showing me places in this season, speaking messages to me about what's happening that were not of my doing. And for nine months, I was out of my mind, sick, feeling like I'm physically going to die, but hearing from the Lord like never before. <laughs> before that spider bite in that season, I had no idea what Rosh Hashanah was. I had no idea what Yom Teruah was. I was just loco. In the midst of all this, I had to go to my board of directors because <clears throat> things were happening so much and the Holy Spirit was telling me detailed things like go talk to this person. The Holy Spirit directed me to go pray in this last chance apartment complex. So I rented a room for six months and just prayed in that room. <clears throat> I had to tell my board, I need you to give me grace. I am out of my mind, but I am hearing from the Lord and I have an assignment. There's something the Holy Spirit wants to tell me and they gave me grace and they gave me latitude. My wife gave me latitude. I was sleeping and praying in that room. 
that apartment complex had 32 people on the registered sex offender list. It was a nest of every hell on earth there. But the Lord told me, go pray there. And while I was praying there, people just started coming in. He didn't tell me, go serve there. He didn't tell me, go fix people there. He just told me, go pray in that room. Room 142 is what the front desk clerk gave me, which I knew was a message from John 14 too. Because that is something that churches that are serving children all over the earth are hearing. That churches are not just, they're gathering places. This is a room of the Father's house. And that our rooms in our home are not our houses. Those are rooms in the Father's house. And that there are there is plenty of room for children that are coming to the front door of the church and knocking on the door in the spirit to say, is there any room in your house for me? And so I got room 142 and I started praying and people started coming in. And I was directed by the Holy Spirit to speak to this woman saying, talk to her. And she said, I have a message from you. Do you know the latitude and longitude of Kansas City? The Holy Spirit told me to tell you that. And the latitude of, of it's 39 by, to the north and 94, 95 to the west. And I really took from that all of these messages that the 39th book of the Bible, that there is something there for us. That is the book of Malachi. And at the very end of Malachi, we hear that the Lord himself is saying that the hearts of fathers will turn to their children. And children to the fathers, or I will strike the land with a curse. It's the same thing that happened with John the Baptist. He came in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And 94, 95, I took to mean September 4th and September 5th, which happened to be Rosh Hashanah. I don't know why, but this is what was coursing through my spirit. And for nine months we prayed and people were flooding in and they were coming, hearing about this. They were coming from all over the country to come pray in room 142. And on Rosh Hashanah, when I started to get into it, then the Lord started introducing me to all of these rabbis, started introducing me to all of these people. And I even came to discover, like, what are the seasons and the rhythms of God? So 10 years ago, as I'm out of my mind, the Holy Spirit tells me to call this prayer gathering on Rosh Hashanah. And he's downloading messages to me in the process. And I've lost my mind so much that I became convinced when the Spirit told me that on Rosh Hashanah at noon this one day, I would see, I would see a, the glory of the Lord, a manifestation of the Lord. And this area where he had called us to pray was the convergence of two rivers, the Missouri River and the Kansas River. And at that convergence of the river, that was where slaves were sold in our, in, in our community. That is where Lewis and Clark landed to come bring you know, everything to the, you know, to the west. It's a strategic place and it joins this river that moves east. And it was there that the Holy Spirit led us to have this prayer gathering. And at noon on Rosh Hashanah, I am so out of my mind that I'm convinced my faith had grown so big that I expected I could see anything from God. You know, the truth is, I had a little faith. I actually didn't believe that this, this God 
this God, this word of life could heal. I didn't actually believe that he could completely shift atmospheres, that he could break yokes, that he had that kind of power, that the Holy Spirit can do anything he wants. I can read in here the miracles, the signs, the wonders, but I didn't believe. But at that point, the Lord had shifted me. And I had a faith so big that on noon of that day, I got down at the river. I called witnesses to be around because I expected like water was going to shoot up. <laughs> and I would just see this crazy miracle. And I didn't want people to miss it. So we got all around. And I had called this prayer gathering. I leveraged every bit of influence that I had to call pastors and leaders and most of them disowned me as a friend. I had lost my mind. Most of my friends who were leading churches were leading intellectual revivals. Most of them were, were sitting there wondering, how, like even the thought of who is the Holy Spirit and is the Holy Spirit really in charge was almost like heresy in their churches. And when the Lord took me on this journey in 2013, most of them dismissed me. I had lost my reputation to them. And some of them came and at noon I got down on the point these two where these two rivers converged to look out and I called everybody around and I sat there and I looked, I am going to see a sign from God. And noon hit and I saw nothing. And then I heard in my spirit, get low. And I got down on my hands and my knees, on my stomach, to look at these rivers flowing where they converge. And they're filthy rivers. And the two rivers converged, and right at that point of convergence, this whirlpool started. It wasn't like a quick whirlpool. It was this big swirl. And every piece of junk in those rivers, every piece of trash that was thrown in those rivers started getting moved into this whirlpool. There was a basketball that came up on this one river, a basketball, moved into this whirlpool, went around three times, came out, I don't know why, and moved back the opposite direction in this river. And then all of this junk, this trash, this garbage in these rivers went and sucked right under the water and it was gone. In a low place, and I heard the Lord tell me, do what your father is doing. Purify. And I told everybody there, please go. Pick up every bit of trash that is on this land that we're going to pray on. When we speak and we sing of the holiness of God, how are we going to call a revival gathering and people to pray with all of this garbage, this mess that we don't even see anymore? So everybody fanned out like crazy people picking up trash for a couple of hours and bringing it to this pile. And on this pile, there were big things, bottles, cans, things that were obvious. But do you want to know what caused us so much heartache and so much time? The little things. Cigarette butts. 
tiny little pieces of garbage that you would never even see. It was the little things that had this group picking up, purifying, and putting them into this pile. And the third thing that we found were all this fishing line all over the bank. And it was tangled in knots. It had no bait. The hooks were gone. It was useless fishing line. And we put it on this pile. And I heard in my spirit, burn it. Burn it. Nobody had a match. Nobody had a lighter. I look under the pile, and there's a brown big lighter. And on the first flick, a flame comes up, and we burned all of that trash. And that evening on Rosh Hashanah, lots of pastors came. In fact, two of them from Texas showed up. And the two that came from Texas are two movement leaders in this space of churches caring for children. But they're not the usual suspects. They're two churches in humble places. One from a place called Possum Trot in East Texas. Where a quote unquote poor black church moved. The Holy Spirit moved in 1996. And the pastor and his wife started adopting kids that nobody wanted in the state system. 22 families adopted 77 of the most difficult places, difficult children in Texas. And it was by, not by might nor by power, it was by the spirit. They live in single wide trailers. They have nothing. And not one of those kids went back into the system. His name's Bishop Martin. He's become like my father. But a movement ignited out of Possum Trot that to this day is moving and moving. And the other is Bishop Aaron Blake from Brownwood, Texas, a very similar church where in his little bitty church, that church now has fostered and adopted over 400 children. So these two men hear the word of the Holy Spirit and find themselves in Kansas City on Rosh Hashanah of 2013 at the convergence of these rivers coming to pray. And all of these other pastors and church leaders show up and I was told to just stay out of it, but to protect the purity of the environment. That don't let people speak these messages that have no power. We come together as churches and we talk about unity and we talk about what we want and people want to grab a mic and start preaching things where there's no power of the spirit. And the Lord said, protect this ground. People who speak a word speak from the Spirit. And we had a couple of people come up and talk, and I snatched them right off the stage. <laughs> Two people spoke that had unction, Bishop Martin and Bishop Blake. And they did not get up and stand there at that moment of purification and say, why can't we all just get along? They did not come with a message about how we can all just get better at our relationships so that we can unite. They didn't bring a message of racial reconciliation. They didn't bring a political message. They stood up and they declared with power that the children who have been cut out by the sin of the world have been set apart by God and anointed to purify and unify the church. That this revival is not one in high places where the church is being sent to the child. 
This is one in low places that is about purification and unification. There will never be racial reconciliation in the church if there is not purification of our hearts. There will never be a massive unification move if our hearts are not pure. And in that moment of convergence, things became clear. I could feel the swirling in the spirit of people who were there. It was just like that whirlpool. And I started thinking about all, not just the big things. We walk around in the big things in the church, and we're no better often than the politicians in Washington, D.C. We're talking about these huge things while we have all kinds of little things that we don't do or things we don't take care of. We have 400,000 churches in the richest country the world has ever known, but we have 400,000 kids languishing in foster care. How can this be? We have 4 million moms and dads getting hotlined while we have 400,000 churches on every street corner. We got little things that are clogging us. And they sent this message that actually the church isn't being sent to the child to save the child. The child is being sent to the church to rescue the church, to defibrillate our hearts, to make us come alive again. What kind of church, what are we if we're not relevant to our neighbors who hurt the most? And by relevant, I don't, I'm not just talking about dropping off a meal. I'm talking about adopting them. I, and I'm not talking about the physical, the spiritual adoption. And so sitting in Rosh Hashanah, I didn't even know what it was that day. Like, God, why did you pick this time? What is it? Because he picked it. And I dug a little bit deeper. And do you know what Rosh Hashanah is? Really? Like, Rosh Hashanah is really not even in the Bible. It's the first day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, in the biblical calendar, the month of Tishri. And actually, and it's the beginning of the fall festivals in God's seasons. Do you know what that first day is really called in the word? It's called Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah means the day, the day of the trumpets. It means, and it's where the high holy days are ushered in. Another translation of it, it's the day of an awakening blast. Another translation, it is a day where the people of God shout. Like when, when around the walls of Jericho, when such a shout came from deep down inside that it actually caused walls to fall down. And there are walls of fear separating our most vulnerable children from the church. There are walls that are up that cause us to play games with denominations, with, with all kinds of crud that will come down. So of all things, when the Lord decided to give a revelation about what he's really doing, he picked Yom Teruah. And it was crazy in that prayer room, in walks in this man with a shofar. We had about 100 people sitting in that prayer room. And a man walks in. Have you, ever, have you ever heard the shofar blasted? 
by somebody who knows how to blast it. It's deep. What I took from all of it, you know, that night, my, I sat at that river because it was so awkward. Like, other than the two bishops who spoke this word, it was awkward. Everybody just looked at each other and they kind of dribbled out and I end up sitting down. There's a rock on that river point and I sat on that rock. Like, God, I've lost my mind. What am I doing? And he had, I was sure he had spoken these messages to me about these children and about the children of these catalysts who are going to unite the church and about how the leaders of this revival are not the usual suspects. These are spirit-filled leaders, that this is not a movement of intellect. It is a movement of the Holy Spirit, and I'm sitting there feeling lost and like an idiot. And it was that night that my body started to feel better again. And within a few weeks, I had no more pain. And even within a few weeks, I was able to go exercise again. I used to be a runner. I've gotten a little bit thick around the middle, and I'm <laughs> not quite there. But I used to be a runner, and and I, I started hearing these clear messages about what this revival looks like. You know, I saw an image. I saw an image of, of a big gear with steel teeth just moving very slowly and powerfully. And in my head, I heard somebody tell me, take this stick and stop the gear. And I put this giant stick and put it in the gear and chewed it up like toothpicks. And then the voice told me, take this stone and put it in the gear to stop it. And I did. And it made it like powder. Then I heard a voice saying, put your flesh in the gear. And I did, and the gear stopped. And the message that I heard is that when we chase after the Lord's anointed, it requires everything. We're not going to put anything else that it is a life for a life. I saw an image of this woman somewhere I don't know where it was. It was somewhere in Africa. I go that we have offices there, and I marvel in some of these villages where people are living in mud huts, and it's a red dirt village, and in the red dirt out walks a man from this hut, and his shirt is white and gleaming like something I could never get cleaned at a dry cleaner. I always wondered how that happened, and I saw this vision of a woman with a wash basin had a washboard, had a huge bar of soap, and had this white shirt splayed across the washboard. And she was plunging it mercilessly. And it was so powerful to make this shirt white. And I heard, this is what revival looks like. That the bar of soap are these children, that the word of God is the washboard, and that the launderer has taken that shirt, which is the church, in between the anointed child and the word of God, and he is scrubbing us. He's scrubbing us. This is not sexy. When we think of revival, we think of giant stadiums with people raising their hands 
lifting up the name of Jesus and nothing changes and our most vulnerable children keep getting fed into the devil's systems and he continues to devour families while this is happening, what if revival is one of purification? What if And what if the purifiers are the children that have been cut out by the sin of the world? And that is where I am in my life. And for seven years when that cleared up, that's when the Lord gave us Care Portal. Care Portal is not a ministry. It is a platform to take the Lord's anointed to the front door of the Father's house for children to, in effect, knock on the door to say, is there any room in there for me? And what we are after is not changing social services in America. What we're after is spiritual revival. What we're after is the activation of the church to a very different level of service that the world will see. And what's cr in 2020, I had forgotten just about everything. We we're so busy building Care Portal which, by the way, now has churches in this country serving 217,000 children. And we're anonymous. The Lord is moving through his church. But he told me to write it all down. Write down what's happening, that we're entering seven years of revival, but it doesn't look like what the world wants it to look like. And do you know from Rosh Hashanah of 2020 to today, if you look at what the church is doing, it was like this. And now it's hockey sticking. And what happened in 2020? The pandemic. So just as the world is saying, close your doors, shut down, do nothing, be safe, the church started moving like never before to go rush into the homes of their vulnerable neighbors. It went straight vertical. God is moving. My encouragement to you and what I want to leave for you, for you is if there's one thing, this idea of an awakening blast comes whenever we start seeing who these vulnerable children are with different eyes. If we start looking at them as the objects of our pity, there will never be a tenacity to go run into the burning buildings of their lives. But if you start seeing them as the anointed, that actually these are the catalysts for spiritual revival. It changes our spiritual psychology. And urgency starts to happen. When John the Baptist is in the river, I assure you, when Jesus came over the brow of the hill, he was like, that's him. That's the anointed. And we begin to run into the disaster that is plaguing our fatherless homes in this country with that level of urgency and with a perspective and a value that you are not my problem to fix, that actually you have something in the spirit realm to ignite me, then we will see something happen, and we are, that we have never seen in this nation and we've never seen in this world. So today is Yom Teruah. It's actually been the last 48 hours. We are in a season of an awakening blast. Good. And that is my prayer for you. I don't think the awakening blast is just supposed to be a sound that we make with our mouths. Is it a coincidence when I see that building? I got to go to your building yesterday. It's not a building. 
This is a strategic hub of the gospel in Dallas. There are houses being built all around where you're going to worship. You can't make it up. And there are apartment complexes. And if you look, if you just hit like a driver out of the front, you know, on the parking lot in any direction, you're going to cover people and you're going to touch people who cross every single line of race, class, culture, you name it. And right in the middle of it is this church with the ability to literally be an awakening blast to call everybody around to have a heart for their most vulnerable neighbors. And I assure you that the spirit of the living God that is hovering in this place will hover all around where you're going. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that we're together. And, and I don't know what will come of this. I felt like the Lord was saying, share what happened 10 years ago on the dot. Don't worry about it sounding foolish. And if there is something here from the Holy Spirit, then Lord, let it rest in somebody's heart. See these kids differently. Move like you've never moved to go upstream into their lives. And what will happen is the power that is in this place will continue to grow and it will happen by the Spirit of God. So I thank you for welcoming me. I do ask that there would the impartation would be that your eyes would continue to change. That song about justice and having the heart of the Father. You have it. And I pray in the name of Jesus for an increase in the heart. The Abba heart is in this house. It's in this body. And I pray for your eyes to continue to change. That you would continue to see the most vulnerable around you not as the objects to your pity, but as the anointed. And he would put a fire in this house that you want to build an army, a giant army of the castaways and the rejects everywhere you go that they would come in and they would have ignition by the Holy Spirit and that you would have an unlikely army moving out. And I come against, in the name of Jesus, this lie that our comfort is the Lord's peace. It's not. So thank you for welcoming me. I appreciate the heart of this church. And I ask the Lord to give you increase. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clearpath Dallas. Thanks for listening.